Ej, Gerda, kom. Ej, det er der. Are you done? I'm done, I'm good. Can you maybe not sip your drink for three <laughs> seconds? Okay. You, know, you gotta get it in your mouth. I'm good, I'm good. Okay. I gather from your letter that your son is a homosexual. I am most impressed by the fact that you do not mention this term yourself in your information about him. May I question you why you avoid it? Homosexuality is assuredly no advantage, but it is nothing to be ashamed of. No vice, no degradation. It cannot be classified as an illness. We consider it to be a variation of the sexual function produced by a certain arrest of sexual development. Many highly respectable individuals of ancient and modern times have been homosexuals. Several of the greatest men among them, Plato, Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, etc. It is a great injustice to persecute homosexuality as a crime, and a cruelty too, sincerely. Sigmund Freud. Welcome to your queer story. We are your hosts. I'm Evan Jones, and with me as always is Paul Hobbs. Today is the first of two episodes on reparative therapy, which is most commonly known as conversion therapy. And surprisingly, it's still a pretty hot topic today in 2018. Um, so a 2018 study released by the Williams Institute of the University of California estimated that 698 thousand Americans will have undergone conversion therapy in their lives and half of those individuals received treatment as adolescents. The survey also estimated that another 57,000 youths between ages 13 to 17 across, 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 across the country will receive therapy from religious, spiritual... Oh. That's, a, that's, a, that's an or. That's how I say or. It's a little slash because I don't do... O-R. I'm too cool for that. Go ahead. The survey also estimated that another 57,000 youths between the ages of 13 to 17 across the country will receive therapy from religious or spiritual advisors before the age of 18. While every leading medical organization, such as the American Medical Association, the American Psychological Association, and the American Pediatric Association have all come out against the practice, it still remains legal in 41 states. Before we can discuss why this outdated and harmful so-called treatment is still around, we must first ask ourselves how it got here. All right, which we're going to talk about, um, but it just again pointing out it is 2018 and 41 states still allow conversion therapy for adolescents. So that's not just for, um, it's, it is legal in all states for any person to undergo, um, adult to undergo conversion therapy, but these are children and that's the main concern here is that children are being subjected to this and, um, and it's, it shows incredibly harmful effects and we're going to put a lot of links at the end of this and in our comments so that you can, uh, do, uh, research on, um, more research on this topic and also, um, how you can get involved to stop this from happening. Also, another thing on the fact that children are being um, placed into these conversion therapy situations, they're not really giving their consent. They don't have the understanding yeah, yeah. and the knowledge of their their body or like they don't know who they are. So the fact that they're just being forced, even if they think that they're willingly do it, doing it, they don't know any better. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. They're basically being forced to go through these procedures which are mentally and physically harming them. Yeah, and in the next episode, we're going to talk a lot about the studies that have come out today, to, uh, you know, the, in today's time, about the harmful effects of conversion therapy. Today, we're talking about the past, and so this is all, you know, what led us up to having reparative therapy, conversion therapy in the U.S., so we're not going to cover as much um, the statistics, but there's a lot of statistics that show in, in how incredibly harmful this is emotionally, um, mentally, and even physically, the phys- you know, the physical trauma that it puts on children. Uh, there's really some horrendous things that I've, that people have undergone in, in up until the early 2000s, like literal torture. We'll, we'll play a clip in our next episode of a man who underwent um, conversion therapy in the early 2000s, and he, he testified before the Geneva Conference, and the people there were so astounded by what he was going through people that listen to stories of torture on a regular basis some were some were getting uh, teary-eyed others were just shocked and you know this is happening in first world countries so um so first to understand the shift which occurred that changed homosexuality first we must understand the shift that occurred that changed homosexuality from sin and crime to illness so if you remember from our last episode, we talked about male homosexuality in early European history and how it evolved through the centuries. Initially, it was widely accepted that every person was sexually attracted to each sex. But then as a few religious leaders began to raise a voice in opposition, the public's, uh, the public's view on same-sex attraction began to change. Eventually, politics came into play and laws were established which forbid homosexual acts and enforced harsh consequences on the accused. These laws and their punishments varied from state to state, but the message carried the same. Homosexuality was a sin which only criminals would indulge. And we know in what we were talking about, you know, you know, they're all we t- in our last episode, we talked about how there was this idea that only the deviants would take part in homosexuality. But then it turned out that like everybody was, you know was fucking everybody yeah pretty much and like i said it's so easy once somebody comes into power um and broadcasts this message even if everybody's doing it they're going to stop talking about it when people stop talking about it it happens less people start to villainize these people who are doing what everybody else was always doing and uh, everything just continues to scale from there exactly yeah so um so a lot of lies are, are spread there and um, you read right past where I was. I still had a sentence to, to read, and I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> so it wasn't until the end of the 19th century and the rise of psychotherapy that we begin to see same-sex attraction classified as an illness. And wherever there's an illness, there's always someone searching for a cure. So we've got homosexuality, and like you got to go back and listen to our first episode if you haven't yet. Um, it's common. Everybody does it. It's not even considered gay or, or, or bi or anything. It's just like we all just screw around. Sex is fun. And then the church gets in and they're like, you guys can't just be screwing wherever you want to screw. You got to do it our way. You got to do it a man and a woman. It's got to be missionary. The woman doesn't have any rights. And so then everybody's like, okay, we're going to get on board with that. And then um, all these laws are enacted and like homosexuality is a crime. And then around, you know, as, as like I said, the psychotherapy starts to take off, people are like, okay, it's kind of like how people treat dr- drug addicts today. And actually you see that a lot in conversion therapy with addiction, like homosexuality is treated as an addiction. So today, like people have shifted, like before drug addicts and drunks were just degenerates that should be um, punished or cast out of society. And today more pe- people are a little more 
what's considered tolerant where we're like they're sick individuals we need to get them help and i think it's so interesting that no matter what we always see a shift in somebody who's the who is the degenerate or who is yeah. the the wrong one mm-hmm. um and then that person just gets basically shit on for years and years and years <laughs> until somebody finally says hey you know what they're actually either they're actually sick or they're not sick or they just get put into these weird freaking categories of people yeah it's a, it's a society it's a few people who get a voice and they say this is wrong and everyone else just decides okay i guess it's wrong i mean we've been we've we've been we've all been doing it for years but i guess since joe over here got up and said it was wrong we're just not gonna do it anymore and you know what <laughs> fuck joe because everybody was having a good time until joe came along we're not talking about joe biden <laughs> no joe's a great guy joe biden's a great guy you know and i bet joe biden would have had a great time in early like Greece, you know, he probably would have had a lot. One hundred percent. All right. Um, so now, um, so now, uh, homosexuality is, is classified as a uh, an illness. And now, following the following information is a combination of research drawn from a paper written by Jonathan Barrett of the University of Nevada. I want to give credit where credits due, and also a book that's literally been sitting on the back of my toilet for a year. The Psychoanalytic Theory of Male Homosexuality by Kenneth Luz. My father-in-law was at a used um, bookstore and he got this book and he thought it was really funny because, you know, my fiance is a lesbian, I'm transgender, so he got it. And, um, and little did he know that it would actually come in handy. So thanks, Dad. I hope you're listening. I'm so excited that you finally get to use this book. I remember when you got this book and you thought yeah. it was the funniest thing ever. Exactly, yeah. And that's why we put it on the back of the toilet. So when guests would come in, which they're already shocked by our house because our roommate is very eccentric and we love her. But like she has a, 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 like a, a placard on the front of our door that says, please don't do d- coke in the bathroom. <laughs> and then they walk into the bathroom and there's all these naked mermaids. And I mean naked mermaids. Not covering anything. I'm not talking about the back. I'm talking about full frontal nudity. <laughs> and then there's a little book, psychoanalytic. There. We put a lot of thought into our bathroom now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> I feel like your bathroom is definitely the most decorated room in your Yes, family. it's the most interesting room in our house. We're like, would you like to see our bathroom? Usually people are passing by their bathroom, but we put the time and energy to make our bathroom a sanctuary. Do you still have the giant fetus behind your dining room table? We do. We have a giant yeah. fetus. And we have the soap dispenser that says... Wash your hands and say your prayers because Jesus and germs are everywhere. <laughs> We're so kitschy. Anyways. <laughs> so, as is the case with so many instances of early therapy, we must start with Sigmund Freud. Possibly the most well-known psychologist. Why can't I say that? Why can't I say that? The most well-known psychologist of all time. <laughs> <laughs> Freud became the unlikely cornerstone of conversion therapy, not because he would agree with this outrageous treatment, but because of his studies on sex. He was the first to implicitly establish the conceptual limitations and unexamined moral and aesthetic... Oh my god, why do you have so many words in here? Because I cook them from the psychoanalytic... <laughs> why can't you make it sound... Theory? Put it like through Because the that's level. exactly what it said in the book, and it sounded it, really I'm, smart. Yeah, but I'm, re- I'm the one reading it, so there's the problem. <laughs> He was the first to implicitly establish the conceptual limitations and unexamined moral and aesthetic judgments that are evident in much later writings on homosexuality. 
He also always kept his findings and ideas open-ended, which gave others the opportunity to interpret them as they saw fit. And unfortunately, while Freud understood that sexuality cannot be rigidly defined, rigidly, 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 rigidly defined and thus corrected, many of his followers tried to do that exactly. It can't be rigidly defined. <laughs> Is that a word? <laughs> rigidly, no. rigid. It's rigid. Yeah, you're rigidly. right. You're right about yeah. that. Okay. So yeah, so I mean, uh, so Freud was very much. Um, you know, Freud understood what he was doing. He understood a lot about sex. But as is the case with everything like the Bible, right? Jesus gets up and he gives some basic guidelines like love your neighbor and, you know, don't murder people. Don't murder people. Like, and then folks are like, take every little thing that he said and they're like, all right, well, we can't eat shellfish now or we can't go out or we can't work on Sundays and people take this stuff and they take every little word that you say and they take it literally into the extreme. And Freud understood in his in his idea, like as he's studying sex, first of all, that he wasn't the all-knowing, you know, he wasn't a god, he wasn't all-knowing. He understood that these were theories that he was putting forth from his studies and that he could be wrong and also that they could be interpreted how other people saw fit. So this is what I see, but maybe you're gonna interpret it differently. And other people later on would come along and take his ideas and they would very rigidly define them and use them to classify homosexuality as an illness and to persecute homosexuals. Well, of course, if you received some information, why would you ever use it for anything other than your advantage. Oh, of course, <laughs> right. <laughs> Is this going to benefit me? No? Okay, well then. All so. throughout history, there's cases like somebody's like, hey, you know what? I think maybe this, but, you know, probably not. But hey, here's an idea. And then people come along and they're like, <laughs> This guy said that you're a sinner, so you got to go to hell now. Exactly. People like, Jesus is like, hey, we all make mistakes. And they're like, did you hear Jesus said? He said that you made a mistake. That's how, that's how life and, and people go. Everybody's got, everything's got to be to the extreme. Great. Right. So the pioneer psychologist Freud is famous for his theory that all humans are innately bisexual and choose their orientation based on the events and experiences of their lives. Initially, it does seem that Freud believed he could change a person's sexual preferences with a bit of psychoanalytic maneuvering. However, he qu acquired a patient that would challenge his skills and soon change his belief that homosexuals could be cured. While studying a teenage girl who was in love with an older woman, Freud drew the conclusion that treatment would not change her sexual desires. In fact, he began to form the opinion that there was very little success rate in curing the true homosexual, stating, to understand to convert a fully developed homosexual into a heterosexual is not more promising than to do the reverse. And also, he said, it is not for the psychoanalyst to solve the problem of homosexuality. So I, I, right here, Freud is like, look, it's not our job to cure homosexuality. And that's exactly what people would do later. Well, what's great is that he's like you know what? I really can't make this straight person gay. Yeah. So I probably this, can't do the reverse either. He says this in the early 1900s. I think this was 1922 that he freaking says this. And for the next 80 years, people are like, nope, I'm pretty sure that we could do something about this. <laughs> if we just really try. like, my, like He didn't this try hard day. enough. He did not try hard I enough. This is a true story. My mom, if you've ever watched the show She's the Man... Uh, they make a joke in there about a girl, about, um, cause the girl, uh, Amanda Bynes character, her mom thinks she's, she's gay and she tells her like, there's a tea that can help you. I shit you not. When I came out, my mother literally told me there was a tea and I know my mother has never seen She's the Man because she would never watch that devil's dribble. 
but she told me <laughs> there was a tea that could help me with my mood and if I stabilized my mood maybe I wouldn't be attracted to women because yeah, first of course I came out as gay and then I came out as transgender later on but there's a real thing you know and that was in 2011 so this is not change people have not stopped trying to change people you know I will say though that um, around 16 I don't think I ever told you this either because I forgot about it in all honesty. I told my mom that I thought I was bi. Mm. Um, and I was actually seeing a therapist at the time, which probably related to the fact that I was closeted and gay and thought everything gay was horrible. Um, <laughs> in and, Indiana, really. Yeah, when right? it's so surprise, open, surprise. even accepting. <laughs> <laughs> and I went to a therapist and, you know, told him about this. And he was like, well, have you ever tried this? Have you ever tried this? Rather than being like, okay, great. Here's how we can like, you know, work with this. Yeah. It was like, a, well, you're probably not. Maybe you're kind of confused. And I, I guess yeah. I repressed that memory until just now. Wow. Yeah. Do you need to work through this? No, I'm good. Okay. You're I good. Just, I forgot about it. <laughs> You'll work through it when you're cuddling with your boyfriend tonight? Yeah, probably not. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. no, I'm just not dealing with this at all. No, but it's true, right? That's, the th that's still the default. And people don't realize, and I always say this on the East Coast, the East Coast does not realize what the rest of the country's doing. And the Midwest and the South and even other parts of the East Coast and East and West Coast, like that's, that's the standard. A kid comes and says, I think I'm gay. I think I'm bisexual. I think I might be transgender. I'm having questions about my gender. I don't know what I am. And it, it's never, hey, that's okay. Why don't you just explore that? It's always, what can we do to fix that? You know? And that's, that's very much how it felt. And it's like, um, like, uh, oh, maybe we can, you know, maybe if you take this medicine, you'll be better. Or maybe <laughs> like if you, I don't know, just don't think about it. Yeah. And it was really strange. I, I can't believe I forgot about that memory. It doesn't bother me, but it was just like... A, just pops up, yeah. 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 And to think that kids still go through that kind of thought, like it really, I think that's why it took me another two or three years to like finally like come out. Mm -hmm. Just to, It's just that little bit. It's just that one person looking at you and, and not being excited for you, just saying, I don't know. And, yeah. then, and, and when you're a kid, that's all you need to shove yeah, like, you back well, in the closet. Well, you're a fucking doctor. You went to school for all these yeah. years. Like, I'm coming to you for my health issues. You mm -hmm. must know what you're talking about. Right. Oh, and think, like, one comment like that, a comment from a therapist made you wait a few years. Can you imagine going to a camp that tells you that you're awful and you're disgusting, that puts you through physical therapy that some in some cases which we'll talk about like kids had needles shoved into their hand their fingers for reparative therapy they um you know they were forced to watch these videos and there was all these um aversion therapy that like uh puts all these negative reactions whenever they saw the same sex on the screen and then positive you know reactions in their body when they saw the other the opposite sex like can you imagine going through that as a child no you know and then and then you're supposed to you know, be fine. And then when you're 18, you're just going to come out and everything's going to be great. No, you know, this idea of like, well, we just try to change them. And whenever they become 18, they'll, they'll do what they want. You know what? That's all for the next episode. Yeah. <laughs> We're yeah, too no. far. I'm, I'm, I, I couldn't imagine going yeah. through that in my life. Yeah. So while Freud saw homosexuality as abnormal, he did not see it as an illness. Years later, in a now famous letter to a concerned mother, the doctor would write, and we had this at the beginning of the episode, uh, 
Homosexuality is assuredly no advantage, but it is nothing to be ashamed of. No vice, no degradation. It cannot be classified as an illness. We consider it to be a variation of the sexual function produced by a certain arrest of sexual development. And while Freud did fight to decriminalize homosexuality, and he did, he was very much a staunch supporter against the criminalization of homosexuals. It's also important to point out again that he still viewed gay individuals as stunted in their emotional development and was very much a believer in the theory of inversion. And that's an early term which uh, which dictated that homosexuals desired the same sex because they wanted to be the opposite sex. So basically every gay person is secretly transgender and there's no such thing as a gay transgender individual. Which I don't uh. think a lot of people today even... I don't think a lot of people today even know that there are gay transgender individuals i in our community i think that's obvious but yeah. in and now like there's people that are very confused when you know it's almost like in people's uh, minds they think okay all right uh you're attracted to men because you want to be a woman but what if a transgender woman is attracted to women they're like well but, but, but why would you transition in the first place because in people's mind it's all about sex it's all about what's in your pants and it's all about who you're fucking yeah which is very unfortunate because people i mean it's everybody is their own person and i can only imagine what the gay transgender people have to like go through to be able to understand that <laughs> right exactly <laughs> and then you know you the prejudice in the community too i mean i you know you think about it like there are there are trans there are lesbians that will not date a transgender woman they don't see them as a woman and um and then there's gay men that will not date a transgender man and that's a whole other like that's a whole other discussion we're not going to get into but like you know there's prejudice on all levels it's prejudice in our community there's prejudice outside and and um to undergo all that i mean it's just it's some crazy shit yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're like trying to put words to it but you can't yeah no so regardless of Freud's views on the subject, many of my contemporaries and even... Wait, what? Oh, it must say his. It's my contemporaries. God. I'm like, what the hell? I don't know why I put my... I must have been thinking about myself. You're always thinking about yourself. <laughs> regardless of Freud's views on the subject, many of his contemporaries and even his own students disagreed and still classified homosexuality as a disease. In 1922... One of Freud's pupils, Wilhelm Steckel, released a new book, The Homosexual Neurosis. He writes in the first chapter, Our investigations thus far have repeatedly shown us that in the case of homosexuals, the heterosexual path is merely blocked. I have proven that the individual, as representative of our modern culture, find it impossible to maintain his bisexuality. Therefore, he represses either his homosexuality or his heterosexuality. Topics include fear of the sexual partner, disgust for women, jealousy of the father, why women abuse servant girls. Okay. I don't know why that one's... It's such a <laughs> random... Sudden, it's a, disgust for women, jealousy of the father, why women abuse servant girls. What are the women doing to the servant girls? This is my all-time <laughs> favorite. Dreams of urinals. Mm. <laughs> a, wait, wait, wait. A spermatozoan I don't know. dream... 
I think that means a wet dream. Okay. That's what I put in there because I don't know what a spermatozoan. <laughs> I don't know. How. Oh, who gets up? How do you even explain that? Did you have a spermatozoan dream last night, Bobby? Uh, Steckel also wrote the book Frigidity and Women because he was a real ladies' man. So, Frigidity and Women, just to explain, is um, it's about women not being able to get aroused, but really I think it's a personal memoir by Steckel about how he can't get a woman aroused. <laughs> <laughs> it's because you're frigid, bird, Bertha, that's why. Why? You're frigid. If you just loosen up, you'd want me inside of you. Okay. <laughs> Steckel directly defied Freud and believed that homosexuality could be cured if more aggressive techniques were used. He once quoted, This disease in question is not a congen- congenital condition, but a psychic state which can be handled by treatment correctly applied. During this time, doctors began to experiment with a variety of treatments from increasing hormones to electric shock and even administering lobotomies. In some cases, lobotomies are like the scariest thing. I know, right? Oh like, my I god. I literally get anxiety when I think about them. Every time we watch so like um like one flew over the cuckoo's nest, is it, am I um oh god, did I just say it wrong? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm right. I know I'm right. The Jack Nicholson is from from a famous book. Um, it, but anytime like you watch a show about like you know like psychiatric hospitals in the nineteen like thirties, everyone's 40s, 50s, getting lobotomy. Everybody, you know what? That's lazy. I'm just gonna say it this. If that was lazy work, it's like I don't want to deal with this person. We're just gonna drag him out and give him a lobotomy. Like, mm-hmm. what the hell is going on there? Also. I don't know. Where is the science behind that? Like, that's such a... Like, just split their brain. It's fine. They don't need it whole, you know, if you put it in half, it's going to work. And it's going to be a great thing. I don't know. Who, who came up with that? I don't know. Some guy did it. You know what? He got it past everybody, and he got it into the hospital. He's like, listen, Eddie, I know what we got to do now. We got to mess with the brain. I, I was going to look up exactly how a lobotomy is done. No, don't do that. I'm not going <laughs> to. I don't want our listeners to be like, we didn't come here to listen to that. We wanted to learn about gay history. Well, this is part of it, okay? <laughs> God, I don't know. It, lobotomy is just, uh, we don't want to deal with your issue, and so we're just going to remove all of it. But I, you're right. I don't know what the thinking was behind it. I don't think the thinking was ever to cure people. I think it was just to remove the issue as a whole without killing them, which just kill them. I don't know. I, for me, like, I would just be like, just take me out and shoot me in the back. I don't, that's, I'm good. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I just don't understand the thought process. Well, if we shoot them with electric bolts and then we split their brain in half, they surely probably won't want the dick anymore. <laughs> no, well, you're right there, Doc. You're right something there. Also, I don't know what else they're going to want. I think one of the Kennedy's um, children had that done to them. Was he? Carol- no, she- it was a girl. Carolyn Kennedy, I think. I feel like i don't know i don't know if that's true but i feel like i heard that she had a lobotomy <laughs> she's not even a carolyn kennedy <laughs> <laughs> i'm just making shit up here <laughs> at this point you got to keep the time going you know that's right <laughs> keep it interesting <laughs> uh, as gay and lesbian individuals became more open and prominent in society the surge to diagnose and or cure them increased into a desperate frenzy it is during this time period, the 30s and 40s, that we see the emergence of several prominent studies about sex and sexuality. Perhaps the most notable was Alfred Kinsey and his Kinsey Scale, officially labeled the Heterosexual Homosexual Balance. Is this that thing I always see on Facebook? I didn't yes, know this was a real everybody- thing. I thought this was like... <laughs> 
<laughs> I thought that... some, some freshman somewhere. No, you know Joe how they have Kinsey. those. You know how they have those Facebook quizzes. Yeah. I thought they just like did a Facebook quiz and you like logged in and it like rated your profile and said you're all the way gay or like. No, you're a zero. How have you rated on those, though? I want to know. <laughs> always a six. <laughs> it's always a six. <laughs> Never in the middle. I don't know where I fall on the Kinsey scale. But, uh, you fall at a uh, seven. A seven? I'm not that... What? There's, <laughs> yeah. First of all, it goes one to six. So it goes zero to six. Zero to six. And if anybody's going to be a seven, it would be you. I feel like I'm like probably a four. Like, maybe closer to a five. <laughs> Just chewing your eyes, <laughs> staring at me. I'll let you I... believe what you want to believe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you not. I don't know. You know what? It's too complicated. Kenzie did not factor in transgender people when no, he thought yeah, of this. That's true. It wasn't really for queer people. We, we need our own stuff. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Prejudice. Okay. Well, you can't really read it the same way. You can't. Can you can't you? read it. I don't know. I don't know because the, the scale is from heterosexual to homosexual. It's not really for queer people. You know, it's just basically. It's like, broken. It's broke. It, well, it was made in the 40s. So let's give the guy a break. He was trying, you know. So uh, Kinsey asked his subjects to rate themselves on a scale of zero to six with zero being exclusively heterosexual and six being super fucking gay. I'm... Um, I mean exclusively <laughs> homosexual. Over a three-year period, Kinsey found that 30% of his subjects had had at least incidental homosexual experiences, and 8% had been exclusively homosexual. In his study, Kinsey wrote, It is difficult to maintain the view that psychosexual relations between individuals of the same sex are rare and therefore abnormal or unnatural. He went on to state that any disturbance found in this behavior was a result of society's reaction to the individual who departs from the code or the individual's fear of societal reaction. So basically what he was saying is that um, whenever people say that it's abnormal or it's weird, that's society's reaction. That doesn't mean that being gay is actually abnormal. He, and, he's, and people's fear of that reaction, people would say, well, you know, you're afraid to come out as gay. That must show you that it's abnormal. No, I'm afraid to come out as gay because you're going to put a fucking lobotomy, perform a fucking lobotomy on you're me. You're going to strap me to a ta- chair. <laughs> Put pictures of men on the screen, shock me, and then when it still doesn't work, you're gonna split my brain in half. Probably not gonna tell you I'm gay. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know, Janet. Maybe you think that it's because I have all Karen. this guilt, but truthfully, I just don't want to. Did they have names like Effie back then? I don't know, Effie. <laughs> Effie. Why don't you tell me? If I tell you I'm gay, you're gonna strap me to a fucking chair. Strap me to a chair. Electroshock me. Put me in an institution, chemically castrate me like they did to Alan Turing. There was this was right about this was his time, the forties into the fifties. Alan Turing was castrated, was medically castrated. A great hero. We will do an episode on him. The publishing of the Kinsey Report, of course, sparked outrage and a strong backlash. One of the most vocal critics of Kinsley's findings. Oh, Kinsey. One of the most vocal. <laughs> Kinsley. Who's <laughs> Kinsley? I think you said his name wrong. <laughs> One of the most vocal critics of Kinsey's findings was Dr. Edmund Burglar. Burglar was a staunch believer that homosexual tendencies were a result of childhood experiences and that the use of guilt could be used to correct this sickness. The doctor was an extremist and would often present blanket statements as, a fa- as fact and had a habit of exaggerating his research and findings. 
Wow, who else do we know like that? I don't know who. Someone who exaggerates their research and findings. Donald Trump. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like there's nothing. It doesn't say who. Like, oh, why? It's a question. <laughs> you know what? I wrote this. I didn't know how we were going to be doing this. Okay. Let's put in my own commentary in. <laughs> he also was notorious for never following up with his success stories. Mm-hmm. And he believed in the theory of inversion. And in one article, he stated twice, passive homosexuals. Therefore, dress, walk, talk, and adorn themselves like women. Such declarations were made to prove that gay men really wanted to be women and this was the cause for their attraction to men. Brigler was so enraged... Wait, where did I go? Mm -hmm. I lost my... (laughs) Brigler was so enraged by Kinsey's report that he warned it was a threat to national security. Kinsey's erroneous conclusions pertaining to homosexuality will will be politically and propagandistically used against the United States abroad, stigmatizing the nation as a whole in a whisper campaign, especially since there are no comparable statistics available for other countries. Here we see the use of irrational fear come into play and the homosexual who had begun to emerge from the closet is hastily shoved back in with the door nailed shut. You know, so Burglar was huge in the 1950s. Huge. Uh, Huge. Since we're talking about people that ex- that exaggerate things, Burglar was a very pivotal. He was the loudest voice um, about c- treating or curing homosexuals, and um, and it says in, in uh, just to talk about his success stories, which we see this again and again. In the next episode, we're going to talk about one of the uh, biggest uh, proponents of gay conversion therapy. Uh, in the last half of the 20th century and one of the biggest, you know, like people that made the format for conversion therapy today. And both of these men were notorious for, they would study a person and they did get the guy or the girl to be with the opposite sex and then they would never follow up again. So burglar would, you know, he would study a guy for a couple months and he'd get him set up on a date with a girl and he'd report, the subject is cured. And he'd never follow up again to see if this guy actually stayed so was it, straight. So was it just like a date, like, oh, they went to dinner? Or was he like... We don't have... A, he would just, just, in his notes, he would just report the subject has been cured. He is dating. So, you know, he's dating a young woman. So whatever. he was annoyed by this guy. It was like, yeah, no, we're dating now. And then the guy left. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If you're gay, you're like, oh yeah, no, no, so, sure. I'm like, I'm like totally straight now. I'm like, wow, I'm so straight. You wouldn't even believe how straight I am. <laughs> My voice is just stuck like this, but <laughs> I <I'm laughs> promise I'm straight. <laughs> but no, seriously. Like, oh man, when I get along with her, I'm gonna do things, and we're gonna oh. It's like, say, another success. I'm so good at my job. Society (laughs) needs to worship me. Edmund Burglar, you are a champion. That's who you are, sir. You are a champion of the heterosexual. Yeah, so, and and again, and Nick, I, uh... I, I can't think of the name right now, but and, and we see, but we do see this through conversion. All kinds of um, all kinds of people in conversion therapy history, they purport the report these um, success stories, quote unquote, and they don't follow up. Um, in the next episode, we're going to talk about Exodus International, which was the biggest conversion therapy um, site in the country, I think, in the world for years. And when they came crashing down, the the um, president of Exodus International said that 99% of the people they treated had never been 
cured or fixed or repaired. Well, no shit. Yeah, everybody was like, yeah, no fucking shit, Alan. We know. That's his name. His name is Alan. And everyone's like, yeah, no fucking shit. But, uh, but it's just, but there's all these stories of people being cured. And when you go to look for the facts to follow up with these people... It never happens. There's never a follow-up because it's fucking bullshit. They're like, how can we make money and torture these people and then pretend like we're doing something that's actually good for the world? Exactly. And just to make their own names look good, to make it look like they're being successful in what they're promising. And you can't, you can't cure, you can't cure the gays. You can't cure uh, transgender people. You can't make people fit into your box. All you can do is, you know, try to hide them away or perform a lobotomy on them and stick them in an institution. And we always come back. We always come back. The 1950s brought a wave of conservatism tied closely to pseudo-patriotism and anything that didn't fall in line with one also became an enemy of the other. At this time, burglars attack on homosexuals and a push for reparative therapy really takes off. His 1957 book, Homosexuals, Disease or Way of Life, became very popular among doctors and therapists, and his methods of treatment were used by many. Martin Duberman is a gay historian who would come out proudly later in life, but during the 50s and 60s, he sought help for his affliction. He would later write of his experience in an early reparative therapy. His doctor, an adamant follower of Burglar, told Duberman, You're chronically angry at women and refuse to get it up for them. To enter a (laughs) vagina for you is to risk being swallowed alive. What? I knew you were going to appreciate that because I feel like you've said that to me before. (laughs) If I go near a vagina, I'm going to be swallowed alive. Um, That's a really interesting statement. Yeah, it was great, great therapy at that time. So as reparative therapy became more mainstream and the theories progressed, the idea of a nuclear family began to come strongly into play. A nuclear family is a couple and their children, and this role was believed to be key in the development of same-sex attraction or gender identity disorder, as it was called at the time. Yeah, just just want to clarify. So gender identity disorder, that's what it was called. That is not the proper term for transgender individuals, but that was the old term used up actually up until about 20 years ago. An overprotective mother or negligent father were examples of why the disease might develop. Gender roles are also strongly enforced at this time and taught that they are essential to raising heteronormative adolescents. Okay, so they're basically like, you need to have a mother and father so you can see that the father goes to work and the mother stays home and does what the dad says all the time. Exactly, yeah. It's very. It's all about gender norms. Like if the mother's too, if the mother's too assertive in the home, then she's going to make a, a pass. You know, why, a, why can't women just do what they want? But, well, that because then you have gay children. Look at our society today. Uh, this is why we got where we got because women started thinking they could go to work and they could have jobs and they could wear pants and even that they could marry other women. And now look at how we are. We're fucked. That's that's true. We're gonna our country's going to shit. Uh, absolutely. That's why Trump became president. <laughs> He's gonna save us though. He's gonna make America great again. That's what he said. Yep. And I believe him. <laughs> So Dr. Irving Bieber, he probably had great hair, I'm sure, became a vocal counterpart to Edmund Berliger. The same guy that we just spent five minutes talking about. (laughs) He became a vocal counterpart to Edmund Bergler and did extensive research into family dynamics and how they might play into abnormal sexual desires. In the 1960s, Bieber traveled the world hosting seminars that taught parents how to properly act around their children and what warning signs to look for. 
Bieber and his fellow psychotherapists began to create a strong narrative that homosexual homosexuals <laughs> that homosexuals were miserable creatures who all sought release from their addiction or perverse desires. A 1965 Time article ran this paragraph in a piece in support of conversion therapy. One reason why homosexuals are so rarely cured is that they rarely try treatment. Too many of them actually believe they are happy and satisfied the way they are. Another reason, says Philadelphia's Dr. Samuel B. Haddon, is that too many psychiatrists are still inhibited by the 45-year-old pessimism of Freud, who believed that the condition was discouragingly difficult to treat. So that's time in 1965, literally saying, the homosexuals don't want to get treated because they actually think that they're happy. Can you imagine that? Can I imagine being happy? Where the hell do they get off? <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, in 1973, conversion therapy underwent a major shift when the American Psychological Association officially removed homosexuality as a pathological disease. While some of the loudest proponents of reparative therapy still maintain that homosexuals could be cured, the majority of psychologists and counselors agree that same-sex attraction was not a sickness. This is when the church stepped in. In our next episode, we will cover how religion overtook conversion therapy and the many camps and institutions established in America and around the world, some of which still run today. We will also cover how almost every main religion and its various internal branches have their own established form of reparative therapy today. And I state that in this episode because there's a lot of recent buzz about the Pope telling a young gay man that God created him, the gay man, just the way that he is. Um, right now, Paul and I are sitting two hours from Courage International. It is the largest Catholic apostolate for reparative therapy in the country. It is currently very active with operating chapters all around the country. Frankly, I'm just tired of the hypocrisy. Everyone is going on about how amazing the Pope is to tell this young gay man that, you know, God created you just the way you are, but they're still endorsing Courage International, which is a conversion therapy camp. And it's literally, like I said, just two hours away from us. There is a chapter that meets um, 10 minutes away from us every other Saturday. Like, there's chapters all over the country. The Catholic Church is still very actively encouraging conversion therapy. So please, before you get all excited about, about um, you know, the Pope saying something, like, we, we see what the Catholic Church is really doing. We see you, okay? We see you. There was actually an article um, about how, this was like today or yesterday, I think I saw it about how the church said, well, we don't really know if he supports homosexuality or not, mm-hmm. and neither does he. Yeah, exactly. So it's like... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how Pope, what, how Pope Francis, is, like, as a man, I feel like he's a good man. From the little that you see, I think he's a man that would like to bring change. But the Catholic Church is a very strong institution, and I don't even care if you're the Pope. This goes to show that it's an organization run by many and not just one man, because I think if it was run by one man, they would probably change their tune a little bit. But there's been many times where he's come out in support of, of people and, and and he's been shut down. Like he's come out and said positive things about atheists. He said things about abortion that the others didn't agree with. And now he's saying things about homosexuals. And this isn't even the first time. And every time people are like, see, the Catholic Church is changing. It's not changing. It's still a very corrupt organization. And always will be. And always will be. That's all we have time for for now. Make sure you check out our next episode, part two of conversion therapy in the United States. 
And also make sure you follow us on social media at Your Queer Story on both Facebook and Twitter. Um, feel free to contact us with any questions or comments uh, on the episodes or anything else you'd like. We'd really like to get to know you guys. Also, remember, we're always looking for new episode ideas about queer history. Thanks for tuning in. Remember, stay queer. And don't get a lobotomy. <laughs> I'm really good. Do you need to leave the room? No, I'm good. I'm crying a little bit, but I'm fine. <laughs> 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 I know you're not done. I know you, and I know when you're done, and you're not done. I'm done. I'm done. You're not done. I. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Ooh. Game face. All right.